Welcome to the Internet Report, where we recap all of the interesting things that happened in the previous week on the Internet. I'm Angelique Medina, and I'm joined by my co-host, Archana K. Sivan. Hello. And this week, we're really excited to have Christian Koch on the show. He is the head of product, cloud, and ecosystem at Packet Fabric, and he also co-founded and is on the board of directors as president of NINOG, which is the New York Network Operators Group. It's a nonprofit organization, and one of the goals they have is to connect network operators and technology professionals. Um, they have a lot of interesting events, and they recently held um, one of their events, I think it was about a week or a couple of weeks ago. So we're really excited to have him on the show. So what we're going to start with today is just a very brief uh, recap of some of the major outages that occurred. And then we'll talk a little bit about uh, some of the other uh, things that we're seeing. So there were a couple of really interesting outages that happened. One of them was um, a Tata outage and the other was a level three or century link outage. So as you can see, there was a slight increase from the previous week. So we had uh, a couple weeks ago, it went down um, to 177 and then it went up to 282. And then last week it was at 313. So it was kind of in that 300 uh, range that we were seeing towards the end of March. And largely um, the contributors to this were Tata and again, level three and CenturyLink who had some issues early, early in the week. And again, ISPs, you know, went back to that sort of 250 number, um, you know, but overall not, not really all that interesting. Um, cloud service providers, pretty low as usual. And then the same with the collaboration app providers. They peaked, they would, there was a huge spike in um, late April, but since then it's come down and it hasn't really gone up substantially since then. So overall it looks you know, like we're kind of in this new uh, normal. And um, you know, the, the, but the, there were some pretty significant um, effects from the CenturyLink outage. We had heard that from a number of folks. This was a, fiber cut or multiple fiber cuts. And um, that happened on Tuesday of last week. And so what was interesting about that was that, um, so we had, uh, I don't know if you have that link handy. Hold on, yeah, I'm just opening that up. There you go, let me share my screen really quick. All right, I think you guys are seeing this right now. Yeah, so this was level three where we saw the outage and this was just one example. This you know, was something that lasted for a while that morning and it was something where we saw an impact not only on the West Coast, mm -hmm. but also in the South as well. And reportedly the fiber cut was in Southern California. Um, and we had a number of folks who had mentioned that they were impacted as a result of this fiber cut. Um, so that right. was interesting to see. Yeah, yeah we, we also heard in a couple of forums that you know there were uh, probably um, a few different uh, fiber cuts that were happening, probably centralized around Southern California, but this was uh, not necessarily um, a single one. There were multiple um, 
cuts that were uh, prevailing around, but affecting uh, the larger part right. of CenturyLink or level three uh, traffic. Right, but but what's interesting is that, you know, even though the fiber cut was apparently in the Southern California region that can have pretty broad impact mm -hmm. across, um, you know, we saw, you know, folks as far away as, as Atlanta and Raleigh, North Carolina, where they were, um, they had a, a problem. So um, definitely the cascading impact of something like this can be pretty broad. Right. And also this particular um, outage lasted for, for quite a while, um, started around, you know, 10 um, Eastern on Tuesday, but we were seeing effects of that go on um, to like about, you know, 11, 11, 10. Or, right. right. So it was a long lasting outage compared to the others that we must have previously discussed. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that, you know, we saw, you know, that on Tuesday, but on the Monday, so before that, there was a pretty big Tata outage that happened. Um, and that was one that impacted um, not just, um, so that, that was in the UK, as well as um, we saw some loss in uh, Germany and mm -hmm. France. That was and pretty broad, actually. It's Germany, France, um, London. Uh, let me pull that up really quick um, as you're talking through. Uh, so, right here. yeah. So here um, we can see, so this is the Tata incident here. So as you can see, there's a pretty significant number of interfaces that were impacted. So we see um, some interfaces in London, um, France, and then uh, Germany, so Frankfurt. So the number there um, is really an indication of how much of that infrastructure uh, within that particular provider uh, was affected, right? So uh, that's right, yeah. Right. So, so I mean, one um, yeah. that's, that's pretty big. Uh, More than eighty interfaces that were impacted. So yeah. that's that's a pretty big event. It didn't last very long though, so about twenty minutes. Um, but that's uh, it. It was pretty significant in terms of its uh, scope. Right. Right. And, and the then we heard about this, right? Like in the U.S. was a little limited because of the timing uh, when it occurred. It happened around uh, midday uh, in the U.K., mm -hmm. around 11 yeah. a.m. for U.K. Right. So in the U.S., we didn't hear much about it. Um, but uh, just looking at this, um, the blast radius of the outage from the amount of infrastructure that was affected, this looked like a pretty significant one. Right. And then GitHub had kind of an off week, um, we saw that on Tuesday, and this, this was something that lasted like 90 minutes. So you would go to the website and you're basically getting a server error. So it wasn't a network issue reaching their servers and they self-host and they also have some instances that are hosted in AWS. But either way, we were seeing that we were getting um, errors connecting to their site and it was pretty long lasting, um, as I mentioned, and it wasn't, um, it wasn't network related. So we can look, for example, at the path to their, um, their uh, pops and see that, you know, effectively there's no, there's no loss here. And then this happened again on the, um, on the, was it the Wednesday? It was the 23rd. 23rd. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Thursday. 
And again, it was an issue where, you know, their site was periodically, so it was like 15 minutes and then it would come back up and then, you know, you'd have an issue loading it. So not really clear what's going on there, but it wasn't network related. So they just seemed to have um, maybe just an off week for GitHub, um, <laughs> but haven't heard anything since then. So hopefully all things are, are clear. Um, <laughs> So and when we say network related, um, the path to GitHub pops like right. to their front door, to their web servers. Now it's possible that there is a network issue connecting in the between their uh, application tiers, maybe or something on you know something on the back end. They're not front ended by a CDN provider, um, which is interesting. So you know wasn't wasn't an issue with any external uh, provider. This was something. You know, again, uh, regardless of where they were hosted, whether it was AWS or their um, their own pops, they they were all impacted the same way. Mm -hmm. So, so that was um, that was interesting. I think even our own users internally here were were um, having problems that morning. I think that's actually how we became aware of it pretty early on. <laughs> So, um, so those are the highlights of uh, some of the major incidents that happened last week. And, um, but there's always sort of, you know, kind of other news that's just happening that maybe isn't outage related or performance related that um, is something that maybe will have an impact um, at some point, or maybe it's not something that an average consumer would notice, but it is, um, it is noteworthy um, from a network operations standpoint. One of those, because um, we have Christian here, and Christian has this great newsletter that he puts out every week where he compiles a lot of the interesting uh, traffic statistics as well as news that's happened in the previous week. One of the things that you had in this week's newsletter was around um, this FCC recommendation uh, uh, for China Telecom um, to potentially um, cease operations within the United States. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the Department of Justice in the U.S. recommended to the FCC that they, you know, revoke China Telecom's license to do business in the United States as it pertains to international traffic. And just this past week, the FCC took up them took them up on the recommendation and has mm -hmm. is, have issued orders to the a number of chinese telecom companies um, and are ordering them to provide more data uh, and prove that they are not controlled or influenced by the chinese government yeah that's really interesting um so We've seen, for example, and I think you, you had also mentioned earlier that, that China Mobile and, um, is, is already kind of under that order, so to speak. So they don't operate within the United States. They had that same ruling by the FCC at some point. And, um, and then China Unicom is part of this new umbrella, or they also have previously had this order? Uh, China Unicom was mentioned in the recent order the recent by the one, FCC, right. yes. And what's interesting about this is that um, what we've seen in some previous um, BGP incidents, so um, there was a route leak uh, last year with the Swiss hosting company where they leaked hundreds of thousands of, um, of or uh, tens of thousands of routes. And this, this happened over the course of a few days. And because China Telecom, because of this leak, they ended up in the path 
for um, for traffic. And specifically, what we were seeing was for traffic that's de- that was destined for Facebook, that it was getting black holed. Um, so it was effectively getting dropped at the edge of China Telecom's network. So they were filtering that traffic out. And this was happening um, in Europe. And we've seen it elsewhere, um, for example, with the Google hijacking um, uh, of, by the Nigerian telecom, it was accidental. Um, but it was again an instance in which uh, China Telecom ended up in the path uh, for Google that China Telecom basically did the same thing. They filtered out traffic that was destined to Google. So these policies that they have um, in terms of which traffic they will um, transit or accept versus um, you know maybe dropping is something that appears to be implemented fairly um, broadly across their network. So it's not just contained to um, their infrastructure in China, it's also implemented um, outside um, in Europe. We've seen this in the US as well um, and, and other countries in which they, they have network infrastructure. So, um, so that was interesting. Um, what, what kind of is interesting for me there, Angelique, from what you mentioned is like, and, and Christian, what you were saying in terms of these restrictions that are going to be in place, or at least the FCC is like kind of um, taking the advice and looking into it, is that um, even if these providers are restricted from doing business in the U.S., right, um, of sorts, um, there can be incidents where traffic um, involuntarily can go through their networks, right? I mean, um, right because kind of the internet is so interconnected of sorts and, and sometimes these um, hijacks or route leaks, um, you know, intentional, non-intentional, um, not talking about um, the, the um, you know, malicious nature or not, um, irrespective of that, um, that these providers can come into play um, sometimes and uh, that cannot be stopped um, because of these policies in place. Well, I mean, that's, that's interesting because, I mean, I wonder though, uh, when these incidents have occurred, why would why would they accept routes to something that you know an announcement for something that they filter out? Um, so, you know, they don't necessarily have to accept routes from their peers or announcements mm-hmm. from their peers, and they had in in this particular um, in those particular incidents they did. Um, so, you know, it's it's you know, some of it is self-policing and then also their peers, you know, have some impact on this as well. Right. Um, just right. Responsibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then also some other, some other um, interesting things that you had brought up in your newsletter in the last couple of weeks was this um, cable between uh, the West coast of the United States to Taiwan, where initially this was a cable, a Google cable, that was that was going to be um, uh, to Hong Kong, and then it changed to Taiwan. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So it's a it's a cable that has a a number of members of a consortium. It's you know led by a company called PLCN, and what happened was the FCC kind of blocked it inadvertently, um, and was looking for more information from the parties on the cable due to some information that they found out about business ties and things like that. And what happened was Google um, applied for a stay order in in order to uh, open up a segment of that cable. So the full cable runs from Los Angeles 
uh, in the United States to Hong Kong. And there are multiple branching units which pull off that cable into Taiwan and the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So essentially what Google has done was ask the FCC for permission to be able to activate and operate that segment of the cable from Los Angeles to Taiwan. Mm, mm, interesting. And that, um, so, th but this is something that's not just um, a Google cable. I mean, this is also, this is a shared cable with Google. And I think even China Telecom has a stake in it as well. Correct, correct. And Facebook has a, a stake in it as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they are looking to complete a segment of the cable that goes to the Philippines. And uh, I eventually, when that segment or branching unit is complete, they will look for the same sort of stay order that Google has requested um, and was granted, um, depending on how things turn out for you know the whole cable project as a whole. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And another thing that you also have been doing, um, in addition to the newsletter, is you've been compiling uh, traffic statistics covering um, some period um, starting before um, a lot of activity around COVID-19 and then through to even um, very recent weeks, um, maybe even to today. And so why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've seen kind of maybe some of the more interesting things uh, that you've noted just in looking at this, because this is global. You've seen this, um, you've compiled this across um, many, many different regions and cities, and there's a lot of variation. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting, you know, I think, you know, the common theme is that, yeah, traffic in 99 or 98% of areas of the world are is increasing, right? Um, but if you look through the data, um, you know, all traffic increases aren't created equal, um, which is what's interesting, right? So we came down to a couple locations like, um, you know, Dusseldorf uh, or Munich in Germany that obviously aren't seeing as large increases as Frankfurt, which is, you know, a global hub for uh, interconnection. Um, if we look at Palermo, Italy, which is a smaller interconnection hub where a number of subsea cables land, that traffic also isn't increasing as much. Yeah, but so you mentioned Palermo, but then also um, I was looking at um, an exchange in Milan where we saw a pretty significant spike in traffic. So what do you think is accounting for the variation? Is it just that there's a, an increase in usage in that region um, versus maybe Palermo where that's more about, you know, like, as you mentioned, kind of um, interconnect, like continental interconnection? Yeah. So uh, there's a number of things here, uh, Angelique. And, you know, when it comes down to it, there are a number of major hubs around the world where uh, interconnection is very prevalent and then there are a number of medium-sized and smaller hubs. Um, but a few of the things that, that we can get out of this are, you know, and that really play into how much traffic or how popular a hub is, are, you know, who's connected and peering on that internet exchange, which mm -hmm. is the view I've been collecting. Um, mm -hmm. The maturity of the market, you know, the, the network's interconnect and network strategy, and the cost of interconnect, because there are some regions around the world where networks prefer to interconnect with other networks privately rather than over a public internet exchange. So mm -hmm. while you may see a large increase on one internet exchange, not the other, that might just mean that most of the networks there are actually interconnecting privately. Interesting. And so would you say that that's, that, you know, as you mentioned, kind of market maturity. So, so is it the more mature markets where there is um, like private interconnection is more common um, 
or, or the other way around? Yeah, so in, in mostly in the more mature markets is where mm. you're going to see private interconnection mm. as the prevalent or predominantly uh, popular method or preferred method of interconnection. Um, yeah. it, it, it's not always the case, though, because there are mature markets like the UK and other places in London where private interconnection may not be the preferred method because mm-hmm. internet exchanges have been around for uh, a long time in some of those markets and have a completely different model than those in mm-hmm. other regions or the U.S., Mm, very interesting. Um, yeah, and then you also had mentioned um, Verizon had put out some numbers around the composition and the increase in traffic that they were seeing. Yeah, so that's interesting. You know, I, I while I've collected all of this data and all of these graphs on internet exchange points and a few ISPs, I haven't really looked too much at the mobile networks or wireless networks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was reading through the Verizon earnings report this weekend, and I noticed that they gave some statistics on how their network is performing and you know what the increases are that they're seeing from the baseline of uh, before COVID-19. And you know they said that almost a thousand percent increase in they said that they're seeing almost a thousand percent increase in collaboration tool traffic, which is a wow. video conferencing like Zoom that we're using right now, right? And um, almost 200% or a little bit over 200% increase in gaming traffic on their network. Mm. Um, and this is Verizon Wireless, so this is not even including the broadband, actually. Oh, oh wow. wow. Yeah, that's, that is really interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I had seen some numbers from Comcast as well, and they were showing um, the the increase in um, um, basically like upstream versus downstream um, utilization, and the, you know, of course, like downstream was was growing had grown quite a bit um, more and even beyond um, upstream, which that you know, which of course points to like video conferencing and things like gaming. Um, but they also said that they it, it, they were seeing kind of a plateauing of, of the traffic around the first week of April. So it wasn't going down, but it wasn't it wasn't at that same kind of slope. It wasn't going up. So is that something that you've noticed as well, uh, maybe you know, more broadly or just in, in kind of your line of sight that it's kind of starting to hit a bit of a, a more um, uh, kind of its new normal, if you will? Yeah, you know, uh, I, as I was looking through the graphs and updating some graphs and data that I collect uh, over the weekend, I did notice that things seem to be leveling off, uh, maybe adjusting to the new normal. Maybe people are tired of watching Netflix and they're playing Scrabble now. Who knows, right? I mean, there's a there's a number of things that I think we could uh, take away from this, but we have seen it, or I have seen it level off a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what one of the things interesting. <laughs> But I um, I was listening to because it was it was the Packet Pushers um, uh, episode uh, that had um, BT and Netflix on there discussing how traffic trends have been, and one of the interesting tidbits that uh, BT shared was that. Um, the peak, uh, the time at which it, it hits peak, right? I mean, it's. Well, let, let's rephrase it. So uh, the peak's gone up, like, and it's it's there throughout the day. But when people fall off the peak, is like much earlier in the night than it used to be before. Mm-hmm. So this little fatigue of you know um, watching TV or or, or being mm-hmm. on Zoom calls that hits. So when they used to see before COVID that the peak would go up to like you know 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. at night, that's dropping off much earlier, and also 
it's starting much earlier in the morning. So people are like maybe sleeping early or stopping this, the streaming effects early, and then they're starting their days early um, in the COVID. I, I just thought it was um, interesting uh, trend there with respect to traffic. <laughs> right. Very interesting. Yeah. So, so Christian, I had a question with respect to the peering that you were talking about, the private and the public peering is mature markets versus not so, and, and also just because of the history in, in some markets. Uh, is there any advantage to public versus private peering um, that you can think of? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the number one thing is actually, you know, control and, you know, a larger amount of capacity. So if you were to take a you know, fiber cable and data center and say, I want to peer privately with, you know, uh, maybe I want to peer privately with you. You've got a business and we have a lot of similarities and there's an advantage for us to do that. And, you know, we say, Hey, we can, uh, we can connect this piece of fiber between us and then we can actually allocate a 10 gigabit interface on our network router. Mm -hmm. Um, and we've got 10 gigabits of, of bandwidth between us, of capacity between us. But if you go to connect to an internet exchange, you know, and you have that same 10 gigabit interface, now it's shared between everybody you want to peer with on there. So there is a big advantage of, you know, having that control and, you know, more capacity available to you. Hmm. So does that come with the price then? I'm guessing yes. You know, it, it obviously depends on how you run your network and, um, you know, how large your network is and do you have economies of scale and get certain things cheaper than others do. Um, but it does have advantages in the long run. And, you know, cross-connect costs vary by data centers and regions. So um, it's all highly relative. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Any, any, uh, anything else um, from what you've observed the last couple of weeks that you think would be interesting to share? Um, well, you know, at Packet Fabric, what we're seeing is, um, while I can't reveal any specific metrics, what I can say is that we are seeing an increase in demand. Um, and the great thing about that is that, you know, our business can serve that demand faster than most people in the market because that is what we were built for, right? We built our network to look like the cloud and that is, you know, turning up and turning down bandwidth as you need it. Um, and being able to use what you pay for and pay for what you use. Um, so it's, it's fairly interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, our customers are in the driver's seat and, you know, we are seeing those increases. Um, maybe, maybe after things settle down a little bit, we'll be able to share more data. Yeah, no, that would be, I think that would be very interesting to, uh, to share more broadly with, uh, with the listeners. Um, so I think that's probably all we have time for today. Yep. If you want to take us out, Archana. Yeah, so um, Christian, one of the things and, and kind of just closing this out is uh, we've had people ask us, um, customers, prospects, okay, is there a forum, is there a community where we can come together to understand what's happening? I know the foundation's newsletter is a great place to be involved. And uh, for anybody listening here, if you want to subscribe to it, go to foundations.email and you can subscribe to Christian's newsletter. Um, some of the data that we discussed here, kind of we, we read about it in his newsletter. Are there any other places, um, you know, uh, forums that you would recommend people to go to to stay updated? Yeah, of course, depends on where you're located. But, you know, look for the network operator groups like Nanog. There's a lot of more local ones in the U.S. And, you know, most countries have their own operator groups, too. So if you're in Japan, for some example, for example, 
there's Janog, J, you know, um, and if you're in Hong Kong, there's HKNog. So uh, just look to, you know, what potential network operators, operator groups are in your community. Got it. Cool. Thank you so much, uh, Christian, for that. And uh, if you guys, as always, are interested in following us, um, sign up uh, for um, the Internet Report. Angelique, if you want to just bring up to the last um, slide in there, um, you can email us with at internetreport at thousandeyes.com if you want to get one of our cool t-shirts. And um, again, what we do um, at Thousand Eyes is take a deeper dive into outages that are happening. So if that's of interest to you, follow us on um, blog.thousandeyes.com as well. All right, with that, we'll close out today and we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>